0: all right good morning how are you guys doing you guys awake you guys are heavily on this side of the room today so sorry everybody i'm just kidding uh, no, it's good to be here. Uh, my name is Chris Kretzu. For those of you that don't know, I'm the campus pastor here, um, and uh, I am just, I'm always so grateful to be able to be here with you guys on a Sunday. Um, I love that we get to be a part of this church. I love where I live. I love the church that I'm a part of. Uh, I love a lot of things. There's a couple things I hate. Uh, one of those, uh, hopefully none of you will fit this description, uh, is uh, dentists really dislike dentists, not the people individually that choose that profession it's okay it's a weird thing to be interested in i guess but uh, but the the idea of going to the dentist for me is terrifying i I get like anxiety about it, and i don't get anxiety about almost anything and so there's this piece of like knowing i've got an appointment coming up and and then getting in the car and, and driving and I just feel this like Ball of anxiety in my chest. Does anybody just feel that now as I'm talking about it? Like a couple of people in here, like, oh my gosh, stop, please. Uh, so it's just one of these things for me that I don't know what it is. Um, I don't have like some horror story that happened to me as a kid. It's just, it's just one of those things that just is, uh, I'm not a fan. Uh, But uh, for myself, I kind of have to convince myself to go, because apparently as an adult, you're supposed to go. Um, Your parents don't take you anymore, and so you got to drive yourself there. Uh, So I just tell myself, it's okay, Chris, we'll get an ice cream cone afterwards, and just like very mature, kind of grown-up thing, experience as a whole. Um, And I went, uh, it was probably about four or five months ago I went, because I was having a little bit of pain in my uh, on the right side of my mouth and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm going to be the mature adult. I'm going to head this thing off at the pass and go to the dentist. And, and so I go and the dentist hanging out in my mouth there fixing things and looking at things and he finishes up. He's like, well, you're going to need a crown. I was like, oh, I've never had one of those before. Is that cheap and painless? (laughs) obviously, no, it's from the dentist, so it's not cheap or painless, and so uh, I'm like, is that something you do right now, it's like, oh no, you got to come back and pay a whole nother time to come and see me again, take another afternoon off of work, and you know, the anxiety, yeah, you're going to need more ice cream cones, and I'm just like, oh cool, this sounds like so much fun, so this is like four or five months ago that I have this appointment, and and I had this pain, and and so I did what all mature adults do, I, I just said, you know what? It'll probably go away. And so I've not been back. So we'll see how this works out for me. It's a very mature, healthy, uh, you know, approach of this, it's just, but I mean, we laugh, but I think that there's a lot of us that we, we are in these situations, and maybe not a dentist situation, but you've identified a problem, maybe it's a relationship problem, maybe it's something in your community or your neighborhood, or uh, maybe, I mean, if you live in like a homeowner's association, people are identifying problems all the time if you live in an HOA situation, but we identify these problems, but very rarely do we do anything to address the problems, a lot of times we just kind of sit back and be like, you know what, I bet with time this will just fix itself. Uh, I bet somebody else will come along and, and maybe one night magically my teeth will be healed or, or whatever the situation is. And I, I feel like we all kind of have this situation, this experience, maybe in, in your neighborhoods or maybe just for you as a person, uh, litter and, and trash in the streets or maybe even on the beach is something that frustrates you and you complain about it and it drives you nuts, but also... You never really take the time to take a bag and pick up trash. It just—it frustrates you and makes you angry, and, and you hate it, and you hate that people do that, but you also don't ever clean any of it up. Uh, maybe there's something for you that at your break room at work, you get frustrated because there's always just unhealthy junk food in there, which is the best kind of food in a break room, in my opinion. But some of, I've heard some people are like, oh, there's just always unhealthy food in the break room, but you never bring... Healthy snacks to put in the break room to kind of balance that out. Maybe I know in Costa Mesa there's a a growing challenge in a lot of Orange County cities actually with homelessness. And there's a lot of people here as I've talked to a lot of people and been a part of different meetings and different groups. There's a lot of people that are really upset about the, the issue of homelessness in our community, but they won't do anything about it. They complain about it. They've identified the problem, but they refuse to do anything. They refuse to help anybody else do anything. And, and in fact, some people that have ideas of how we can help solve this solution, they don't even want them to, to do that. So it's this, it's this thing where it's like, man, I know it's a problem, and I want to complain about it, and I'm frustrated, but also, like, I don't know if I can do anything, and, and none of your ideas are good either. Sometimes in our, our finances, we, we realize we're in financial trouble, we want to pay off some debt, or we want to save up for something specifically, but, but also I don't want to actually change my spending habits. I'm not going to do anything differently, I'm just kind of hoping that this problem takes care of itself, or in our relationships, in our marriage, we, we see an issue, or a crack, or, or kind of a drift in that relationship, but we don't want to spend the energy to try and change it. We see a need. We feel frustrated, we identify the problem, but how often do we actually do anything about it? Sometimes we convince ourselves that seeing the problem is the most important part. And I think there's like a G.I. Joe thing, right? Like knowing is half the battle, or this is kind of like one of these PSA type of situations. I don't know if it's half the battle, like maybe like 49% of the battle. Like it's, you gotta do a little bit more than just know. The information. You, you can't just identify the problem. We have, to, we have to take action steps. But a lot of times we convince ourselves that just by caring about something, we've somehow helped. I didn't actually give, but I retweeted the link for that GoFundMe page. I mean, I don't have enough money to really make a difference, but somebody out there will. Somebody else can give the money, and I'll just retweet it. Uh, when they brought that subject up. I rolled my eyes in the meeting so they knew I disapproved of how they were handling the situation. You know, it's like, I'm not really going to address it. I think there's an issue that we all struggle with and, and the reality is that acknowledging a problem is not the same as addressing a problem. Acknowledging that a problem exists in in your community, in your city where you live. Acknowledging that a problem exists in relationships, maybe in your marriage or in your friendships or maybe family relationships with siblings or things like that. Acknowledging a problem even in your spiritual lives and saying, you know what, I know that there's distance between me and God. I know that there's kind of like an amount of space there. Acknowledging the problem is not the same thing as addressing the problem. It's part of it. It's an important part to be able to see and recognize that there is an issue. But a lot of times we just feel like, you know what? Now I know why my tooth hurts. I'm just gonna leave it alone. God gave me two sides to my mouth for a reason. I'll just chew on the other side. It's like we can't just acknowledge the problems in our lives. We have to address them. We have to, we have to show up. But I think so many of us handle our problems this way for two reasons. The first reason is that because doing something is costly. Doing something, when you when you see a problem, when you see an issue, when you see a struggle, uh, whatever it might be, addressing that can be costly. Financially, sure, sometimes it can be costly, but it can take time. It can take emotions that you're not really ready to, to spend. It can take energy. It's like, man, I, I don't really want to take my day off and address this or You want me to pay for a counselor? I don't even know if it's gonna help this situation. And and so we start to say, well, I know it's a problem, but I think the solution might be a little bit too expensive. And then the second part to that, this reality that problem addressing problems can be costly, is that sometimes we don't want to address a problem because even if I spent the money on the counselor, how do I know it's gonna work? We've got big problems. I could spend all the money I have in my savings account. And this relationship could still fall apart. If I, if I address some of the needs in my community, it's like, what good is it going to do? It's just like me just trying to solve this problem. It's like, okay, I'm just like throwing like a pebble at this mountain trying to solve a problem, and it's not going to make any impact. We have this, this, this struggle, this internal dialogue or battle inside of us that we don't want to have to spend ourselves on behalf of these problems. And the fear that we have is that if I do spend the little that I have, the little money, time, energy that I have, if I spend the little bit that I have, who's to say that it'll even help, that it'll even make a difference, that people will even see it? We don't want to just do something. We want to do something that matters. This is what all of us have in our minds. I don't want to just do anything. I want to do something that makes a difference, and it feels like the bigger the problem, the less my contribution could possibly matter. If I can't do a big thing, then what's the point of doing anything? This is why a lot of people, I mean even just one of the, the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this this week is why so many people don't vote. So they're like, it doesn't really matter. And if I can't change things with my own one individual vote, then why bother even showing up to vote? But this bleeds over into every aspect of our lives. If, if I can't do a big thing, then why would I even bother doing anything? I want to be able to make an impact. We experience this with the social needs in our communities. Costa Mesa, and this is, I know there's different cities represented here, but, but Costa Mesa is the city I live in, and the city has identified three primary issues, homelessness, um, education, and cultural integration. They're the three biggest challenges that the city of Costa Mesa is facing. Um, and so there's, there's these needs in the city, and so for me it's like, man, I want to help make my city a better place, but... How could I possibly fix the education system? <laughs> there's teachers and people and board members and all these people that are working. Their jobs are to fix this problem. What can I do in my spare time? There's homeless people. Every time I turn around, there, there's people that are struggling with homelessness. What could I possibly do to help get them back on their feet or rehabilitate them into careers? Or We have these things where it's like, man, what could I possibly do? If I can't do a big thing, if I can't solve the problem, then what's the point of doing anything? We experience this in our relationships, in the relational circles that we're in. Man, I I don't know if I want to have this difficult conversation with them. I don't know if I want to ask them for forgiveness because I don't even know if they want to talk to me. It's not even worth bringing up. I don't know if I want to spend the time trying to invest in this relationship because it feels like I I just don't know if it's going to come back and be beneficial. I don't know if we talked about marriages. I I don't know if I want to pour into this marriage or maybe I should just cut ties and leave. And and we kind of start to wonder like, man, if I can't do something that's going to make a difference, maybe it's just better if I don't do anything at all. Let me just reserve my energy and my effort and my my time. And we experience this with our spiritual needs too, like we talked about earlier. We can sense that there may be distance or a drift in our, our spiritual relationship, but A lot of times we're just unwilling to try and do anything different to make it feel more alive or healthy. It's like, man, I don't want to have to get up an hour earlier. I don't want to have to watch a season of Netflix shows in two days instead of one. It's like, I don't want to have to cut time out of the things that I like to try and put some energy into this thing that might not even make a difference right away. We struggle with this. We all struggle with this on different on different levels. And I think it's not just something that we struggle with today. It's kind of a, a human fear that we see all throughout time. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 uh, today. This is a story that a lot of us are probably pretty familiar with. It's the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's Matthew 14. We're going to start in verse 14. Uh, And this is a story where these people literally are dealing with and, and wrestling with some of the same exact things that we deal with. And what I love about the Bible is it doesn't always spell it out in direct words, but if you actually sit back and look at this interaction between Jesus and the disciples, you'll start to realize, hey, those guys are just like me. Like, I do that same thing. I struggle with that same thing. I ask those same exact questions. And even though it took place thousands of years ago, it's still something that we wrestle with today. Verse 14 it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. The disciples, they see a problem, they discuss it and they tell God about it. They're like, hey, somebody should do something about this problem. Uber Eats doesn't deliver out here. We're going to have to figure some sort of solution out. They're going to be hungry. So Jesus, you need to take care of this and tell these people to go so they can order food in the villages. They've identified the problem and they've said, here's a problem. Somebody else should deal with it. Here is a need. Somebody surely can fill this need. Here is a, 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 a gap. That there's something that can be done. Jesus you should probably step up and take care of this. Verse 16, Jesus says, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Which, I don't know, I, I tend to be sarcastic, and so I read the Bible with like a healthy dose of, dose of sarcasm. I think there should be like a new translation, like the new sarcastic translation of the Bible. I already read it that way, I guess, so it doesn't really matter. But there's this piece where, where Jesus is saying this, and I feel like I can picture the disciples like, Jesus, there's a lot of people here, and it's going to be dinner time soon, and they're going to be hungry, and we don't have food. So you need to tell them to get out of here and go get some food because we can't do that. We, can't, we have nothing to feed them with. And Jesus is like, no, you do it. You feed them. You take care of it. And you can almost like picture the disciples, these 12 guys that have been traveling with Jesus. It's not like they all showed up and he didn't know what was in their backpacks. They've been traveling together. And you can be like, with what? We've got nothing. We have nothing to do this with. The disciples, they want Jesus to solve the problem that they have identified, but he wants them to be a part of the solution. He didn't say he wouldn't help. He just says, no, you do it. You feed them. He wants them to be a part of the solution, a part of the process that they have identified this problem. And there's a part that you can play in this. The disciples go on. They say, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered, which, by the way, they took from a kid. They conveniently left that part out. They didn't give credit to this 12-year-old kid that now has no lunch. They said, we've only got these five loaves of bread and two fish that we took from that nerd over there. You know, it's like... This isn't even their food. It's not even what they have. This kid had offered it, and this story's in a few of the other Gospels as well. This kid had offered his food. They say, we've only got five loaves and two fish. All they can see is how big the problem is and how insignificant five loaves of bread and two fish are. The story's called The Feeding of the 5,000, but it actually says that it's 5,000 men, and that's not counting men, uh, women and children. And, and most people that kind of historians that understand how they would do a count in this time, they said that this number would probably be closer to twenty to 25,000 people. And so you can kind of picture the disciples saying, Jesus, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish, and there is a sea of people here, 20,000 people here. How can I even possibly help address this problem? How, even if I give this four kids' lunch away, and he doesn't have any food, and we're not going to be able to feed everybody else, and then he's going to be left with nothing, and we're going to look like idiots. These are the same questions that we deal with. Man, how am I supposed to help address the issues of, of homelessness in our community, or, or safety, or how am I supposed to address the problems that are in my relationships, or the problems that I'm facing in career? If, if I'm going to spend the little bit that I have, I don't even know if it's going to be enough to solve this issue. I don't know if I have enough energy or time or money or patience or, or strength or, or whatever it might be. And we, we ask these same questions that the disciples ask. In Mark chapter 6 is actually the, uh, this story Mark writes about it in his gospel. And, and the disciples say, Jesus, we would have to work eight months to even have enough to be able to feed these people. They're well aware that they do not have enough to solve the problem that's in front of them. But Jesus still, he says to them, it's not necessary for me to send them away, you feed them. And this is gonna happen to us in our lives. This is gonna be something that that we struggle with or we come into contact with. Last week, we talked about this idea of loving and caring for and being in relationships with people that are different from us. People that are outside of our normal circle of friends or or family or the people that we kind of normally hang out with and the more that that happens, the more we start hanging out with people that are older than us or that are younger than us or people that are from a different culture than us or people that make more money than us or less money than us. We start to see that there's all kinds of other problems in the world that I knew nothing about. I only know about me kind of problems, and there's plenty of them, but there's all kinds of other problems, too, that people are facing, and I don't know how to even begin to address those problems. I don't even know how to begin to help people with the things that they're facing, just like the disciples don't even know how to begin to feed somewhere around 20,000 people that are going to be hungry pretty soon we all have the same experience where we start to become so overwhelmed that we feel like, man, if I can't do all of it, if I can't solve the whole thing, if I can't make a big impact, then it's probably best that I just save my energy for something else later down the road. But the reality is, is that if we do what Jesus has invited us to do and if we move outside of the circle that we're comfortable with and we love the outcasts and the people that are different from us and if we move away from just thinking of people as a category of homeless people, but we actually start to know the names of somebody that's homeless. Maybe you have a family member that's dealt with that. Maybe instead of just a category of people that are dealing with addictions, it's actually somebody in your family or a friend that's dealing with some sort of addiction and they've been in a recovery process. Maybe instead of the the category of LGBT, you actually have a brother or an aunt or an uncle or somebody that you know that identifies that way. And all of a sudden, it's not just this this information, this broad stroke of them and their problems, but all of a sudden it's like, I never had to wrestle with this. I never had to think about what does it look like for me to have somebody in my life that I love and that I care about, that's homeless, and how can I best help them? I don't want to enable them, but I want to make sure that I'm able to support them and, and I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to begin in this journey. We all all face these types of things. When we follow Jesus, we're going to come into contact with questions and problems and struggles that we've never had to address before. And I want to make sure that we all know that and that we're all okay with that. So everybody just say, I'm okay with that. sound very excited. (laughs) Like, I got enough problems. I got enough of my own issues. But the reality is, is when we look, when we live our lives with this outward perspective of of I've been called to love people and to serve people and to lay my life down for people that are different from me and and even forgive my enemies and and serve those and pray for those that that hate me, and, and it's all this outward way of living, we're going to start to come into contact with issues that are not my kinds of issues that I know how to solve those problems. It's going to be problems I've never had to to deal with before. And that's, that's an okay thing because that means that we are following Jesus and doing what he's asking us to do. We're going to become aware that someone has to do something. And in our brokenness, we'll ask God to do it. But I think just like with the disciples, he will say, that's not necessary. You do it. He'll ask us what well, we have. How can we show up? How can we serve or care or love or give towards the people in our lives? Some of us, with some of these issues we've seen, maybe you're like me and, and you drive around, and in my, the park that's right across the street from our apartment complex, um, over the last nine months or so, has become kind of this. Hub for some of the homeless uh, community and and they camp out there and and so I see them all the time and I walk by and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I walk by the next day and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then I walk by the next day and I just, I don't know what to do. And there's this piece for me that I could guess or I could actually take a step and, and try and talk to somebody that actually does know what to do. How can we help them? How can we address this situation? Not just in a way that uh, Meets an immediate need for them and a, an immediate need or a desire for me, but how can I help create like a, a long standing solution for, for them to become rehabilitated? There's an organization that we tr- uh, partner with called Trellis here in Costa Mesa. Over the last four years, they've actually helped over 400 people end their homelessness, get into apartments and jobs and housing, which is insane. Over 400 people in four years. They know what to do. So I asked them hey, what should I do? What can I do that will be helpful to the people that are living in the park across the street from my neighborhood? And you know what? They had suggestions. I didn't just have to ignore it. I didn't just have to walk by and be like, man, somebody should really do something, but there was something that I could do. And it's not going to solve all their problems, but it's a practical thing that I can, I can start to address. And so for us, rather than just not knowing what to do and just hoping that somebody else does, we can start to ask, how can I help? How can we step in and make a difference? What can I, what can I offer in this situation? There's a problem that I've identified in my community or my relationships or in my family. What can I do? We have these serve projects that Angie talked about uh, during announcements this Saturday. We're going to be at the Soup Kitchen, which uh, I've served at this project before. They set up, a, it's a legit farmer's market full of produce and vegetables and all kinds of other things. And it's there and it's free and it's for low-income families. And, and they're able to get uh, non-perishable items and canned foods and things like that, different places. But there's almost nowhere where they can get fresh produce. And this is like a really tangible thing that we want our kids to be able to have this kind of stuff. We understand the importance for our kids to have this. And so we get to help provide this for some of these low-income families. And this is something that we can practically do. The city has identified this as a need and a way that we can serve. And so we're going to do that. We're going to say, great, we can show up. I don't have enough produce to feed everybody. Oh, you're going to bring produce? I just need to help pass it out to I can do that too. It's like this, it's this one, one step at a time forward of, okay, well, I can't do everything, but I could do this. I can show up here. Maybe, maybe it's easier for you on Sunday to stay after service and help package these laundry love kits that will make doing laundry a little bit easier. I don't know how many of you guys have to use laundromats. You don't have, it, it's no fun. We don't have laundry, uh, washer or dryer in our apartment And so we have to go to this other little room and pay all the quarters. And here's what I've learned about doing laundry in a laundromat. You never have enough of everything. It's like you either have too much detergent and not enough quarters or not enough, you know, it's like there's always something. And so we get to show up and say, hey, here's a bag of detergent and dryer sheets and quarters and maybe like a cookie And uh, something like that, just to let you know that, hey, we get that doing this chore is no fun, but hopefully this brightens your day. Hopefully this helps a little bit. These are little things that we can do because it's just a way for us to practically take action and say, hey, I see you and I care about you. I can't solve all of the problems. I can't install a washer in your apartment, but I can make today a little bit better for you. I can make you smile a little bit today. I can provide groceries for your family through this project. Whatever it might be, we can can step in and we can do something. We don't want to just be aware of what the issues are around us, what the challenges. We don't want to just identify the teeth that hurt and then leave them alone. We need to address them. We need to take steps. So the story goes on. Uh, verse 17, the disciples say, But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And then Jesus responds and he just says three words. He says, Bring them here. Bring them here. And this is the invitation for all of us today. As you look down at your hands, as you look down at your, your checkbooks or your bank accounts or your app, which most of us probably use now instead of checkbooks or whatever it might be, as you look in your communities or your relationships, and you've seen the problems and the challenges that, that you're facing or your family or your neighbors are facing, and you say, man, I, I can't solve all those problems. This is all I have. I've only got five loaves and two fish. It's not enough for these 20,000 people. I, I don't know if, I can, if it's even going to make a difference. And Jesus just says, and he's inviting us today still, just bring it here. Bring what you have to me. John chapter 6 tells the same story. And in John's version of this story, he says, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew the disciples couldn't do it on their own. He already knew that they didn't have enough, and he just wanted them to participate in it. He just wanted them to bring what they could, and he would make it enough. God changes situations in this way. He meets tremendous needs, massive needs. He addresses big problems through tiny acts of obedience from his followers. The question isn't what difference can I make, but it's, it's what has God called me to do? What has God asked? Hey, bring that to me and let me see what I can do with it. Let me see what I can work with. So there's, there's three thoughts that I want to kind of go through quickly. Three thoughts for having an action-oriented faith. Because we can have a philosophical faith and we can know what we believe and we can be like, yeah, I know that God loves everybody. I know I'm forgiven. I know he wants to meet people's needs. And these are all great ideas. Or we can have a faith that's an action-oriented faith. Faith is a demonstration, not a discussion. It's an action, not an idea. There's a verse that kind of addresses this, this this same thing. It says, God demonstrates his great love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he says, it's not just enough, it wasn't just enough for God to, to say that he loved us. He demonstrated it for us. And we're invited to be that same way. It's not just to, to say that we follow Jesus and we believe it he says, but we actually are invited to demonstrate it. By The way that we live, the way that we care for our cities, the way that we show up in our families and in our marriages, the way that we show up at work and in friendships, the way that we act spiritually, it's an action-oriented faith. So uh, I got off track. There's three thoughts for having an action-oriented faith. Uh, I only have time for two now. I'm just kidding. Uh, So the first one is be where you're at and use what you've got. I think for some of us, we kind of get this idea of like, well, all right, I guess I'm going to be a missionary to Africa now. That's like, that's not what God is asking. He has put you in the job and in the neighborhood and in the friend group that you're in for a reason. There's seven billion plus people on this planet, and it's no accident that you're interacting with the ones that you have a relationship with, the ones that you interact with. On 17th Street alone, there are three different Starbucks. That's ridiculous. First of all, for my second point, uh, is that there's only one that I like to go to, which is crazy that I picked one out of three, but you're probably the same way. You have your favorite place, and there's other people that like those other two weird Starbucks that I don't like to go to, and so the people at my Starbucks are in my life for a reason. I don't know why. I just like that one more, and so I go there more, and they know my name now, which is embarrassing a little bit, but it's okay And so we have these conversations, but the same is true for you in your life. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to go back to school. You don't have to save up thousands of dollars first before you help somebody and and care for somebody. Be who you are, where you're at now. Just be aware, and just like Jesus said and invited the disciples, bring it to me. Just who you are, where you're at. Bring it to Jesus. Offer it to Jesus, and he can do so much more with your little bit than you could ever do with a massive amount, humbly and quietly bring what you have to Jesus and see what he can do. The second thing is that a starting point to loving someone overtly is often by loving them covertly, which is good news for all of the introverts in the room. You don't have to show up and kind of wear like a sign that says like, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm here to help you, but you can but you can also just write a note and slip it under somebody's door, their office door, or leave it at a neighbor's yard. You can make some cookies and give them to somebody. I'll take them if you need an idea of where to give those cookies to. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, We think good things about people all the time and hardly ever tell them. He used to say, If you think it, say it. Because there's all, a lot of times, I think, man. That person is so great. I I really like hanging out with them, and then I just move on with my day. And it does no good. Like I thought about how great they are, and it was just for me. But I could text them, and I could say, Hey man, I think you're pretty cool. We should hang out sometime. Did I make that creepy? Let's just you know like, it's just this. If you think it, say it. If you if you see that somebody seems like there's something heavy going on, you'd be like, Hey, you seem a little bit heavy today. Are, Are you okay? you have no idea what that can mean to somebody. A starting point to, to loving someone overtly is often just loving them covertly of, of just these small, simple things, simple ways of showing up and letting people know that they're seen and that they matter and that you care about them. The third thing, and this is a difficult reality that we all have to face, is that there is never a good time to sacrifice. There is never a good time to sacrifice. The the idea of a sacrifice alone means that you are giving something that costs. I would be surprised if any of us had a free Saturday to go help distribute food. (laughs) You probably all have stuff going on. I would be surprised if any of us had just extra money, an extra $100, like, man, I've been trying really hard to figure out what to put this $100 to, and now I've found something. You know, it's like, we, we don't have lots of extra. We're always out of time, out of energy, out of money. This is kind of the, the world that we live in, but it always will be a sacrifice, and it's never a good time to sacrifice, a lot of times we want God to give us opportunities. I, I've myself prayed before, God, just give me a chance to, to love someone and help someone. And, and then I get this chance. I'm like, well, yeah, that's not a good week. I'm like maybe next week it would be better for me. My next pay period, you know my schedule, Lord. If you could work around that, that would be ideal. But there's this reality that God is inviting us to give of ourselves. And, and he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, a.k.a not looking for God, not aware that we needed change, not interested in his offer of help. He died for us. He inconvenienced himself, he set himself aside, and he laid himself down for people that didn't ask for it and weren't even looking for it. And this is, this is the nature of a sacrifice for us. Galatians uh, chapter 9 has a, a couple of verses that kind of echo this idea and it's something that I have to hold on to sometimes because, um, pastor confession here, uh, I like doing good things for people, but sometimes it's tiring, right? Have you guys ever felt that? It's like, all right, I, I think I've given enough. Like, I think I've done enough for this week. My quota is full. Surely I've, I've played my part, and don't call me Shirley. Or whatever, you know, it's like, I, I feel like I've done enough. But there's this verse that I hold on to sometimes. And in one way, it's helpful, but in another way, it's frustrating. You'll get it. And it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Oh, come on. Seriously? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever you have extra money, you should do good to everyone. No. I don't know if you can read that far. It doesn't say that. Whenever you have extra time, no. It says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. Whenever. Don't get tired of doing good. Keep it up. Whenever you have the opportunity to do good for everyone. There is never a good time to sacrifice, to give. I'm sure this 12-year-old kid, that was looking forward to his sourdough bread and his smoked salmon or whatever it was that he was gonna be eating, I'm sure it was not convenient for him to have 12 bullies show up and take his lunch from him and say, cool, we'll give this to everybody else. You know, that's not how it happened. But, you know, we can work in the white space a little bit. It's never convenient to sacrifice. It's never a good time to sacrifice. But Jesus is inviting us to be where we're at and use what we've got, To love people, and it's okay to do that in small, powerful ways. And to remember that there's never a good time to sacrifice. When we start tiny, when we offer what we have, when when Jesus says, bring it here to me, and we, we bring the little bit that we have, here's what happens. In verse 19, Jesus tells the people to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. So they brought him the five loaves and the fish, and they gave it to him. And and he made it enough, and he made it enough to make a difference and to matter and to be helpful. And then he gave it back to them and said, great, now you go distribute it. And he does the same thing with us. We say, hey, all right, here's what I've got, God. And he's like, great, now you go distribute. And love people. You go care for people. You go serve your city. You go put the work in in your marriage. You go put the work in in your friendships or at the office place. You go do this. I will make it enough, but you've got to distribute it. Verse 20, it says, they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children this passage and this series is, is really look, primarily looking at how we love and care for our cities. We've been talking about this for a while now, and we're especially talking about this today. And so I don't know what the needs are in your cities, but it's probably pretty easy for you to kind of think for a moment and be like, ah, I could probably guess. I could make some assumptions. And so there is an, an absolute invitation here for you to love the needs of your city. But I also, I never want us, I never want to let me off the hook in a personal way too. So yes, how can I better serve and love Costa Mesa and offer what I have to make a difference? Believing that God can use it. But also, are there issues that I've identified in my friendships that I'm kind of just like, ah, it'll work itself out. Is there issues in my marriage that I, I've identified and I know that are there and I, I've not decided that I'm going to actually put in some effort? Are there issues spiritually where I feel like there's distance between me and God or, or like there's a disconnection but I'm not actually putting any sort of effort into addressing those things because I'm not sure if the little bit that I can put in is going to make a difference. So maybe it would just be better if I was just able to, to relax or just take a breath or Just watch an extra TV show or or whatever it might be. So yes, we need to actively care for our communities, but also let's not let ourselves off the hook here because we are all part of relationships with other people in our neighborhoods, at work, with our families. There are things that we're identifying issues, maybe even in our health, and we're like, you know what? Maybe I should go to the gym more than once a quarter, (laughs) There's these things for us that we we identify the issues and, and we're just unwilling to address them. And I don't know what it is. I think sometimes we're afraid that we don't have enough to offer to make a difference. We're afraid and we don't really believe if it could actually change. And I think sometimes it's because we think we have so little to offer. And I think other times it's because we don't think that we actually matter enough to be able to change anything. I think sometimes it's a it's an unhealthy view of ourselves. But in Genesis chapter 2 of the creation poem, it talks about how God scooped up dust off of the earth and he breathed life into it. And this is literally the word Adam means dirt. And God takes literal dirt and breathes life into it and sets that creation higher than every other creation that he made. And, and it talks about last week, we talked about this idea of the phrase imago Dei, which is the the Hebrew word for saying the image of God, and, and each person in this room, each of us is given the image of God. It's, it's imprinted onto dust that he breathed life into. This is the value that we have, and, and the, the idea of who God is is this God that loves and creates and is able to step in and care for people, and, and this, is, this is an aspect of who we are created to be also. And so sometimes we start to look at our stuff and we say, I don't know if I've got enough to make a difference. And sometimes even more, sadly, we look at ourselves and we say, I don't know if I'm enough to make a difference. And I need you to hear and I need me to hear today that God has created us with the ability to make a difference. He looks at us and says, no, you have everything you need. You're made in my image be who you are, where you are. You can make an impact. You can make a difference. Start tiny. Bring God the little that we have and wait to see how he can use it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, as we look at a passage like this, it's encouraging to, to see people like the disciples who are able to live with You and spend their days and their nights with Jesus, hearing his teaching and seeing his miracles. And and even still, they struggle to understand what it means to to care for others and and how you want to use us. And so it gives us hope because sometimes we feel so distant from you and we feel like this all happened so long ago and, and we're at a disadvantage. But the reality is that you are constantly inviting us to bring it to you, to bring what we have to you and see what you can do with it. You're inviting us to participate in, the, in solving the needs that we see in our cities and our communities. You're inviting us to participate and, and to be a part of, of healing our friendships and our marriages. You're inviting us not to, to just give the problems to you. God, you have, you have promised to help Give us the ability to work through these things, and you're inviting us to participate in the renewal and the restoration of these things. So God, for each one of us in here, and maybe for some of us, this idea of, of caring for our city and meeting practical needs in our communities is, is weighing heavy on our hearts. Maybe, maybe for others, it's other relationships or, or things that we've identified problems in our office or in our families or our marriage or our friendships and maybe for some of us, we've identified these, these problems in our, our spiritual lives. So God, the, the prayer, the one prayer that I have for all of us today is that we would not just acknowledge the problem and walk away from it, but that we would trust that the little bit that we have and the little bit that we are is all that you need to be able to do a miracle, to be able to see change happen in our communities, to be able to see a difference in our relationships and in our spiritual relationships as well as our personal relationships. So would you give us the courage to believe that the little bit that I have is enough and the little bit that I am is enough and you're just inviting us. You're just saying, bring it to me. Bring it here. Let me see what I can do with it. And would we respond in that way? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.